Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jody and the youth for being here. You can have a seat. Um, thank you, worship team. We got Clark with us today who's visiting. Clark is one of our, actually one of our former worship leaders, and, but also just been involved in this church. I didn't think of you. I just think of you as, you know. Clark and <laughs> all the goodness that comes with that. So good to be with you and uh, others. There were going to be some other guests today. I'm not sure if I see them. Yes, right there. <laughs> Brent and Sarah Complin are with us. So um, Brent. Brent was our assistant pastor for a number of years, and um, so so good to see you. He is in Minneapolis, and Sarah and the kids, and he's just doing an amazing job pastoring a church, lead pastor of a church there in Minneapolis, So, and he gets to fish all he wants and other things like that, so good to, good to see you. You can greet him. And then uh, we prayed for our, our new pastor, Paul, and his family today, and um, we've been doing some onboarding this last week, and I just have to say that... We had hours-long conversations this week, and it's been good. And just um, there's the questions Paul is asking and the things that he's thinking about have caused me to just be even more excited about your presence with us. So I'm really excited for you all to get to know Paul and Jamie and the family and um, be on this, this season together. So really a lot of good things. And then I don't know, just since I'm saying good things here, um, Somebody, um, I don't know who did this. I'm going to find who, out who got to the bottom, who, who did this. But yesterday, my phone just blew up with encouraging texts all throughout the day. Um, I couldn't even keep up. Uh, and they weren't just like, you know, the yearbook, you know, uh, you know, thing. It was like deep things that, that God's been doing in people's lives. And um, I was just, I just was blown away. And so I just want to thank you for that encouragement during a really, you know, hard season uh, of COVID and beyond and everything that's been happening and whatever you all know. And, and so that was just, I just am grateful. You really lifted my soul and strengthened me. Encouragement is a strengthening kind of a thing, right? And, um, and that's what happened. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. And you can do that anytime you want, by the way, feel free. So, um, so we have been looking in First Peter, and I got to read. It's been a, a rambunctious morning. Um, when you get my wife up here, sometimes it gets a little rambunctious. So I got to, and then you know I got to get focused here. So um, we're talking about some of the attributes in First Peter that empower us and enable us to live on mission. We're looking at the attributes that empower us, the way that God wants to shape us and form us and mold us. And the beautiful thing about this is it's his work. He's doing this in us to make it so that we can live in alignment with what he wants to accomplish in the world more fully. Okay? And, 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 and there are six of these that we're looking at. And we're going to get to one today that's a little bit unusual. I've been anticipating this one. I've been, I've been even anticipating with you over the last sermons. Um, because this one is, is maybe unusual for us, maybe especially in our environment today. So let's look at the six again. We'll put them up here. The six are be hopeful, be holy, be together, and then be subject. That's today. I'm going to use the word submission. It says in the text, be subject. Some translations, submission. We're talking about submission today. And then be fearless next week. Pastor Paul is going to preach and uh, be steadfast. We'll be after that. 
so we're going to talk about submission today, and you really can't look at First Peter um, honestly without grappling with this. There's a pretty large section right there in the middle that talks about submission, and, and it talks about submission in a number of different arenas in life, and we'll kind of explore that. But I'm, I'm sort of going to just say, uh, stay on the, on the concept of submission um, in more of a global kind of a sense um, in the time that we have today. So... Um, you know, there. In, if you think about submission, and and I was trying to grapple with what, you know, what we wrestle with when we think about submission. So I think some of the reasons why submission is hard for us is because we don't like to have somebody else, you know, curtail our sort of self determination, our ability to do um, what we want to do. We don't like somebody else to to make decisions for us. And then sometimes when they do, we often have a hard time with the decisions that they make. That can be when it's most difficult, right? So, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, my wife said, we're going to Yellowstone. And uh, I got the trip all planned out. We're going to stop by and we're going to pick up uh, our son in Boise and bring our, our younger son. So the girls had to work. So it's just the four of us. And she said, I've been doing all the research and uh, I know exactly how to, you know, do Yellowstone. Been reading all kinds of articles. And we, we, we got about, we got there and, you know, the first day we got up. At, I think it was 4 a.m., um, which I think it's mountain time. I don't know. It's all kind of a blur. And so it was even earlier than that. And, and we drove, you know, two hours to the spot in the park. And, and then we did about four long hikes that day. We got home about 10. And then the alarm clock goes off at like 4 a.m. the next morning. And we go to the next place. And about the third day when we were on our 21-mile day hike, and we, about two-thirds of the way through, you know, um, and we had, we had seen a grizzly bear already on the hike, you know, the boys and I are wondering, you know, how wise was it to submit ourselves to the schemes of this very ambitious woman um, who wanted to take us to Yellowstone? And you, you have, when you submit to somebody else, you feel vulnerable, right? You feel vulnerable, um, and that's a, that's that's an uncomfortable thing. Sometimes even you feel do you ever feel like less? You wonder if you feel less than like like somehow, you know, um, when there is is, is kind of a, a relationship where you know a person is in authority and there seems to be rights and and respect, and you start to wonder, am I am, when I'm in this, am I less than? Am I less valuable than than this other person? Um, and so you know, it's complicated. This. This topic is is fraught with emotions and sort of you know deep reflections and thoughts about what it what it means to be a human being, what it means to be a human being in community together. It's it's not an easy subject. Um, it's a complicated one, and and it's kind of a vast subject. In fact, I think that it's even made more complex in our world today because there's been a shift in the way that we think, you've heard me talk about this, in the way that we think about how we form our identities. And so in the past, you know, uh, typically the way identities, and some, often this is the case in, in traditional cultures as well, the way that you, you get a sense of value and worth is, you know, by trying to meet the expectations of the people in authority around you. And, there, and there, in the West, there's been this big shift in the way that we form identity where it's, it's, it's gone from rather an, an outside-in 
into sort of an inside-out process where we, we, we look deep inside to come up with a kind of a conception or a vision for who we, we want to be, what would make us worthy or valuable, and then we externalize that, and, and oftentimes we're working to try to get the world around us to reaffirm what we have discovered uh, of ourselves on the inside. So, so when, you, when you take that posture of kind of self-actualization from the inside out, when you take that posture, um, then what does submission look like, right? It's kind of a dirty word because, you know, it, it feels like limits and it feels like squashing who you are. And so we have to we have to grapple with this. And Peter wants to to help us grapple with some of these really um, difficult questions. Because here's the deal: the reality is that submission is a part of our world, um, whether we whether we want it to be or not. I mean, on your way over here today, did you stop at a red light? Did you stop even if there were no cars coming, and you just sat there twiddling your thumbs? Right for no or a stop sign. You were submitting to the governing authorities, right? And and there's an element you do that because you know society wouldn't work without that. Um, you know, this week did did your supervisor at work ask you to do a particular project, or your governing board, you know, have an expectation for you, and and you had to carry that out. You submitted to that, and it, and, and it just wouldn't work if there weren't some element of that relationship. If you if you have children, did you expect your children this week to follow something that you said to them? then you were activating that sort of submission dynamic. And um, I read a book this last year, came out in 2020 by Robert Putnam. It's called, he's the guy who wrote Bowling Alone. It's called um, The Upswing. And it's a really interesting uh, sort of um, survey of how uh, American culture often will, will toggle between sort of a collective emphasis to more of an individual emphasis, and we sort of go back and forth between those two. Um, and one of the underlying assumptions, though, that is when we're in a collective swing, then there has, then, then, then the idea of submission has to be part, it doesn't work. You can't do things together if you don't have a sense of submitting to something larger, submitting to others. But then, you know, that will often become stifling if it get, becomes too much, and people will want to break out out of that and and they'll go to individuality and then that will go for a season so he says that when you look at for example the the transition from the 1950s which was a very it was like the apex of this collective approach to living right that broke apart splintered apart in the 60s to you know what we know is the 60s as we call it just the 60s and it was it was an emphasis on individualism and we've been in that phase he says for a long time and then there's some swinging back to collectivism so anyway, my point is that you can't get away from this concept of submission and so why not go with peter into his word to the word of god to understand how do we how do we grapple with this? And not only how do we sort of figure out to live within it or, or just manage, but, but actually what we're going to see, this is, and this is sort of a stunning thing for me, how do we actually um, begin to see this as one of the tools that God is using in our world to bring about his redemptive purposes? 
that's where we're going to end up um, as we as we look at this together. So open up with me to First Peter, chapter two. First Peter, chapter two. And um, we're going to look at a portion of the text. The text is longer, uh, and I'll read portions of it later. First Peter chapter 2, I'm going to look at verses 13 through 17 um, to begin with, and, and we'll kind of get started there. Um, so here it is, First Peter 2, 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake... I'm not going to read the whole text like this, (laughs) but these are really important words. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And it seems there that what Peter is doing, like this is sort of the heading for several sections that will come. And then another section that will be at the end in chapter 5. And he, he highlights four institutions there. He's talking first about governing authorities. And then he will talk about um, servants and masters. And then he will talk about marriage. And then at the end in chapter 5, he will talk about the church context. And so when, when he brings up these human institutions... It's like he's talking about these four different ones. But the first one he goes into is the government. So whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. If you're underlining in your, in your Bible um, or highlighting, maybe that one. Live as people, we're going to dig into that. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, which is a huge statement in that day. But it's, it's, it's a statement of the dignity of every single person. Honor Everyone, which is one of the underlying assumptions when we talk about submission and all this stuff, uh, that the dignity of every human being is one of the underlying assumptions. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. So, so honor everyone, but then within the community of faith is the call to love, kind of one step up, love the brotherhood, um, fear God which becomes kind of the the background for all of this and why we do what we do, and honor the emperor. Now, in the rest of this whole section, he goes on to talk about servants and masters and marriage. And and then, like I said, in chapter 5, he'll talk about the church and this concept within all four of those environments. So government, I'll say work, marriage and family, and church. So those are the four institutions that Peter is digging into. And all of them require this element of submission. And it never just goes one way, right? It's, it's back and forth. It's complex. Human relationships are very complex. They, they all require an element of submission, even though none of them exists. This is a really fundamental point. Even though none of them exists in the pure and perfect form that God intended them to exist. They're all corrupted by sin. They're all corrupted by sin. And that's the rub, right? Because it would be easy if we lived in perfect organizations and institutions. It would be easy to submit, right? Because you'd be, I mean, that's how it's going to be in heaven. You're going to be, you know, God's going to say, do this. You're going to be like, hey, I really want to do this. And it's going to be the same thing. But in this, these contexts, in a fallen, broken world, it becomes more complicated. 
So, for example, take the relationship of servants and masters, which I didn't read. That's the next section, um, but I will read some of it later. Um, what we're really talking about is is how people work together here. Um, it's God's intention that people work from the very beginning, going back to Genesis, um, and then it's God's intention that people work together because human beings are meant to do everything in community. We are we are communal people. It's God's intention that we work together. And everything we do as people is intended to be in community. Everything we, 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 we do is in community. But because of sin, right, um, the, the, the relationships are corrupted. And at the lowest ebb of that, when we're talking about work, um, and it's not even, it goes so much beyond work, but one of the facets here is work, um, you would have uh, what we call slavery, chattel slavery, which is where the, the, a person is viewed chattel. That just means a person is viewed as property. Okay. And so, um, the human dignity is erased in that system. Right. And so that's the low ebb of, of what we're talking about here. If you look to the modern work environment, um, you, you have all kinds of guidelines to protect the, the dignity of the human being, right? That, that's so much of, of what we talk about in, in a modern Western work environment. And yet, even those, and I know this because you share your stories with me, those environments are deeply corrupted and difficult and hard to navigate because they're also tainted by sin, even with the, with the effort to make them. So you have those two poles, perhaps you could say, and then if you wanted to think about how it fits here in First Peter, this concept of servants and masters, it, it's not chattel slavery, it's a different kind. Of, it's somewhere in between those two. Um, it's a different kind of a context, which, which we could get into. But let me just say this about it um, to save time. There's nothing in the text that condones, you know, slavery or servanthood. We know from all over Scripture that God's vision is for human dignity. All, all people are made in the image of God. So that right there is enough to shatter the concept of chattel slavery. So, so we know, so any usages in the past of this text to, to confirm or condone that is, you know, is improper, um, which we've talked about um, in the past. Um, and, and then we know that, that, that not only that, that sin corrupts all things, including human dignity and work. So what Peter is interested in and I'm trying to sort through some of the complex questions here quickly, and we can talk more afterwards. I'd love to talk more with you. But what Peter is interested in is how we live now in corrupt human structures. That's what he's really aiming at in this passage. How do we live now in corrupt human structures in such a way that we honor God, hold on to our freedom and dignity in Christ, and even serve to bring about change in the world? Um, God's created order includes, you know, the practicing of submission with one another. And how do we do that well? So what I'd like to do is throughout this text, there are four truths that help us help us accomplish Peter's goal. And I'm, I'm putting these under this title. Four truths to remember for freedom in submission. Four truths to remember for freedom in submission. And I'll hit these briefly because there's four of them. And, and I also have to do, i got to remind us of something here. I just want to be very clear about this because these passages have been used in so many ways, you know, that have been controversial. Um, none of what Peter says here is about, you know, uh, uh, that 
submission should be taken as, you know, nothing that he says about submission should be taken as endorsing sort of an apathetic or uh, acceptance to injustice, okay? Nothing he's saying here is about that, endorsing an apathetic acceptance to injustice wherever we find it. Um, Remember the context. Christianity, I mean, at this point in, in the game, is basically like a bunch of home groups, you know, around the Roman Empire. Okay, so very small, um, not, a lot, not a lot of ability to sort of change. They're, they're basically in a military state, which has the Roman culture and, you know, the Roman Empire enforced um, at spear point. So, so they're not, so, so Peter is not writing, and you see this with Paul as well, he's not writing to this little band of Christians to try and overthrow the Roman Empire. That's not, that's not really realistic at this point. Now, they did, the Christians, a little band of Christians, had a vision for the Roman political, social sort of regime to be overthrown, ultimately with the return of Christ. So it wasn't that that was on, not on the table. There was a vision for all the brokenness of human institutions and the injustice to be, to be shattered, to be broken down. There was a vision for that. And they did have a vision for transforming it by living out the ethics of the kingdom. So they felt that as, as people came to Christ and, and Jesus began to transform them and they would go into the positions of authority and leadership, they would live out the ethic of the kingdom and that would have a transformative, a transformative effect on the world. So it's not that they didn't want to fight injustice. That's not what Peter is saying here. Um, and, and then also what he's not saying, he's not justifying bad behavior on the part of anybody who's in authority in any way. In fact, there are other places in the New Testament where you'll see that, that he will call to account those who are in authority uh, in a way that's even uh, more exacting, perhaps, than the person who's not in authority. And, and, and when you read those passages, sometimes it's a little fearful. It's, 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 you know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to be in that role. Um, and so, so we, so, so, so what he's trying to do is to say, look, this is the kind of world you live in. Um, human institutions are a part of it. And so how do you navigate that as, as a believer? And not only how do you navigate it, um, he says, I can do something special with it and transform it into a tool of redemption. So here we go. Here are the four truths to remember for freedom in submission. Truth number one, remember that God made the world to have human institutions. It's right there embedded in the first verse, be subject for the Lord's sake. That's to every human institution. Submission is part of the deal of being a human being. We all have to do it. The human institutions we're part of will always be a corrupt, um, whether it be family, work, government, church, it, 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 that's just the reality. And God knows, this is the thing, God knows they're corrupt. He sees us when we're living in the middle of them. Um, and he calls us to submit. He calls us not because they're perfect, but because all of this is part of God's design. The way that he has created humanity entails, includes this element of Submission. So, you know, I work for Solano Community Church. I also work for our denomination. 
and there is a structure there that I work under and I submit under. There's a structure in this church under which I work and I submit to. And I was in a conversation with somebody on the, my, the national denominational side of my work, and we were talking about this subject, and the person sort of asked, why do we submit in these structures? And it was a great question because I began to think about it a little bit. Why would you do it? And, and, and our impulse is to go and answer the question in this way. Well, because we're following a good leader. We're following somebody, you know, who's a good leader and who always makes great decisions. And then we think about whoever it is, we realize that's not the case, right? Because no human is not, is without sin. And so that can't be the ultimate reason, the only reason that we fall. Well, because the person always makes good decisions. Well, that can't be the reason that, that we do it because not, no leader always makes good decisions. And so we've got to dig a little deeper to come up with uh, an understanding of why we would submit in whatever structure that we're in. In fact, so often, um, you know, this is the wrestling that we have kind of deep within the souls where, as we're trying to live out our relationships. And what Peter says is that you're, you do this for the Lord's sake. Nobody you serve under is without sin. Uh, nobody uh, I serve under will always make a good decision. And much of the time, um, we only have part of the context. So the decisions that the people in authority over us are making are being made with information that we're not privy to. Which makes the work of assessing their decisions that much more complicated. Right? So there's a lot there that we don't know, we can't understand oftentimes. And the question is, how do we continue to live in these structures that God has created? And at the end of the day, what Peter says is you do it for the Lord's sake. And that raises lots of questions, which I know um, you're, you're beginning to think about, and we're going to get to some of those in a minute. But this is the larger framework. I can live in whatever framework, whether it be government or work or family or church, not ultimately by faith or hope in the people, but by faith or hope in the God who stands behind the world that he has created. Which kind of leads to this next point. This world he created, he continues to be sovereign over. Which is a fundamental truth that helps us in this question of submission. Remember, truth number two, that God is sovereign. Verse 14, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Whatever craziness is going on in the world, he stands above it. I was watching uh, the Olympics and the skateboarders and, and they're in the pool and I love them in the pool and they come up out of the pool and they, and, and, and they uh, will get this incredible like six, ten, I don't know how high they are above the pool and, and they'll be doing these tricks and sometimes they take the board and they flip it and the board is spinning like crazy while they're in the air and then they grab the board and then put it back under their feet, land back on the, on the wall of the pool and go out like this. But then sometimes what happens is the board is flipping flipping like this and they're there and they reach out and they miss the board and it keeps flipping out of their control and then it falls down 
and they have to get on their knees sort of and land and slide down. And sometimes we feel that God has been that way with the world. That it's flipping out of control and he missed the grasp. And what the text is saying here in so many other places in the New Testament is that never happens. God never loses control of the board. He always has it in his grasp. And so even when it feels like it's flipping out of control, which it so often does, that it's getting sideways, that it's moving away from where we would want it to be, the call for us is to remember that God is still in control. And we, we, we grasp onto that truth by faith. Like so many things in the walk with God, we grasp it by faith. We can't see it. We talked about this a few weeks ago in the very first in this series. We oftentimes can't see the circumstances seem to be indicating the exact opposite. But by faith... The eyes of faith, which are greater than the, the, the vision, the physical vision we have. By the eyes of faith, we grasp onto the truth that God is still sovereign over whatever is happening in our world. That's number two. Remember that God is sovereign. Number three, remember your freedom. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, Peter writes. Why are you free? Um, you're free thinking about the context and the, the people that Peter's writing to, you're free because you're not, Peter's saying, ultimately subject to the Roman Empire. You are a chosen, we say this so often in this community, somebody texted this back to me yesterday, you are a chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed, sealed child of God. Chosen, remember, if you haven't memorized that yet, and you've been part of this church for a while, this is a big thing. People sometimes have little acronyms for it, but this chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed, sealed child of God. It comes from the beginning of the book of Ephesians. This is your identity. If you want to talk about identity formation? This is one of the key components. Chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed, sealed child of God. The Lord is your king. He holds you in such a way that whatever happens in this life will not be the final word on you. He holds you in such a way that whatever happens in this life will not be the final word on you. So you can enter into context where it might feel like you're losing yourself or, you know, you can enter into, into places where you feel vulnerable and, and know that you're, you're not actually because God is holding you. God is holding you. Your value and your worth is not determined by insignificant things like position and status and title in this world. I think this is one of the questions that we're really, when we have this reaction to submission, this is one of the questions that we're really grappling with. We're almost confusing two questions. How do I find value and worth? And then what's my role in the world? And when we confuse those two and bring those together, it becomes very complicated. If we, if we assign our value and our worth to our status, then we're in trouble. 
because that actually becomes kind of like a prison for us because then we, we never will, if status equals value and worth, like position equals value and worth, then we're going to be on this endless pursuit of more status so that we can feel more valuable and more worthy. And that becomes a kind of a prison for us. And Peter is reminding us that there's a very different way to look at it. And he he points us to Jesus. I mean, Jesus was subordinate to the Father, right? Um, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But not my will, your will be done. That's submission. And would anybody ever say that Jesus was less valuable than the Father? We wouldn't ever say that. That doesn't even make sense to think in that way. So the model, the picture for us is the relationship between Christ and the Father. And when it says, you know, to us when we're in a work situation, whatever our context, you know, here it says servant, um, worker, you know, submit, wives, in the back, the back half of this, this passage, submit, uh, men submit, everybody has to submit, we submit to one another, it's complicated, it's back and forth. When it says all of that, wherever it is in the Bible, that doesn't threaten your identity. It doesn't threaten your value, your worth, your identity. You are bigger than that in Christ, is the reminder. And sometimes I wonder if God maybe introduced all of this annoying submission stuff um, into the world precisely so we wouldn't get attached to status. We wouldn't get attached. Our identity and our value and our worth would not be attached to the wrong thing. So that we remember that in Christ, we're all that we ever need to be or ever could be. Chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed, sealed children of God. That's freedom. When we finally actually, that, that's, what, that's actual freedom. Because then you, can, you don't have to be fearful of your circumstances. You can enter into all kinds of brokenness, human institutions that are flawed and corrupted, and you don't have to be fearful of your circumstances. Truth number four. Remember that God works even, or I put in parentheses, especially through injustice. Again, I, I'm going to get email about this or text about it. I, we are not, Peter is not condoning. He's not saying we should seek, you know, to leave injustice as it is. You know, we should not try to fix it. That's not what he's saying at all. That's a different conversation. He's saying this is the reality of the world. How do you live in it when you can't change it? Okay. So don't let any of this diminish your fight for justice, biblical justice, as defined throughout the Bible and as commended throughout the Bible, part of the redemptive story of God. None of this diminishes the fight for biblical justice in the world. But how do you live in a world where injustice is always going to be present? And there are going to be times when you can't overcome it. That's the question he's asking. And... And this is what he says in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. This is mind-blowing. Really? For this is a gracious thing, 
When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's a gracious thing. It's, it's got the whiff of God's grace. It's got the smell of the character of God. It's got the aroma of the attributes of God, the, the something special that comes with the character of God. Just when you, you, you think that what is happening to you is exactly the opposite of what possibly could have any positive impact on the advance of the kingdom, it just might be that it's in that very moment when God is moving the ball forward more than ever. I, again, Olympics. When they're playing soccer, sometimes the ball gets kicked backwards in order to go forwards. It has to go backwards in order to go forwards. And that's the kind of way, the miraculous, powerful, incredible way that God works in our world. And if you're not sure about it, then Peter goes on to say, you know, this is really the the God who you worship. He's so awesome that he can take setbacks and injustices and move them and use them, use them to accomplish his redemptive, his grand redemptive goals. That's what Peter is saying. He says, if you, if you want an example of that, then read on in the passage, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Well, what were those steps? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. Just remember, those are sins he didn't commit. Those are sins that we committed and others committed. Those are sins that he didn't commit. So he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. And, and that's a statement about like a global statement, but it's also a good statement. I mean, I mean, what Christ's work has done has brought us back into the fold, you know, all of that. But it's also maybe a statement for us by the Holy Spirit this morning, you know, if we're straying in some of these areas. If you were, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In other words, the greatest exploit this world has ever seen was accomplished in submission and suffering. The greatest exploit this world has ever seen was accomplished in submission and suffering and injustice and injustice. 
Again, we don't want any of those things. None of those, we're not condoning any of those things. But they're here in this world and you've got to live with them. And God's saying, you know what? Chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed, sealed child of mine. I am so big and I love you so much that even if you get into a situation where it seems like everything is going the wrong way and you are suffering under injustice for things that you didn't do, I'm so big, God is saying, and so powerful and so awesome that I can even use that for my purposes in my glory. In fact, chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed, sealed child of mine, that is my specialty. That's what God is saying to us this morning. And what Peter is stringing together here is, look, if you want to be somebody who lives on mission and has, but by that, I mean, you have an impact on the world around you to bring redemptive transformation. This is part of it. To be able to live and suffer in injustice. Knowing that God specializes in that exact place. To bring about his redemptive plans. That's what he did with Jesus. And that's what we'll do with you. Amen. So Lord, help us in those moments. I know I need this. And I, I even this week, I'm so hard to in the middle of something that feels so wrong and broken and you're sitting in it and you want to take matters into your own hands. You want to bust out and say, you know what, God, I tried waiting on you and you don't seem to be doing anything, so I'm just going to do it myself. Um Oh, Lord, we're going to face those moments. And as we live on mission and really try to be your ambassadors, seek to be your ambassadors, we're going to find ourselves in that place more frequently. Because you specialize in turning upside down these moments where there's brokenness, where there's suffering, where there's injustice, where sin seems to be winning the day. And out of it, you pull a glorious resurrection. I think we, we just, Lord, we keep forgetting that. And so we need you. We need you today to remind us to hold on, to remind us to be present, to mind, remind us that the story's not written, to remind us you're still sovereign to remind us that you haven't lost the skateboard spinning off into space it's in your control to remind us that somehow in the grand scheme of things you are accomplishing something more beautiful than we could ever have imagined by allowing the world to be the way it is so our declaration to you is a declaration of faith and trust right now I don't like it, but I trust you. That's the, that's the statement. I don't like it, Lord, but I trust you. And in doing so, we open ourselves to something magnificent. So God, thank you. Thank you for these challenging words that cause us to really wrestle in areas where we might not have wanted to go. Continue to minister. There's so much more to talk about on this subject. We need to keep working it out. Help us to work it out. 
to dig deeper into the rest of this passage, to explore, to talk, to sharpen each other. Because we want to be like, we want to we take on these attributes, Lord, to be hopeful, to be together, you know, to be holy, to be subject, to be fearless, to be steadfast. We want to be your people, marked by those attributes for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.